Hello, hello, hello. Welcome again to another episode of No Funk and Strictly Munkin, the only Monk podcast that is exclusively Munkin with no Funkin' whatsoever. I am one of your hosts, Jake Christie, and joining me as always is my partner in crime in this podcast, Andre Barrera. Andy B, how you doing? <laughs> I am awake. I'm sufficiently awake. I have to just... The disclaimer, we, uh, we're yes. recording this at 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. on the West Coast. Yes, uh, and because I am a dirtbag, we're recording this at 10.40 a.m. on the East Coast right now, and I am all, I also just woke up because, you know, anyway, um, so we're here to talk about Mr. Monkos the Carnival, episode four of the show, um, and as we've said at the beginning of every episode, just in case it's your first one, the whole conceit of the show of our podcast is that I've watched every episode of Monk multiple times, love the show, Andre's watching it for the first time. So we dipped into episode four of Monk, which is often listed as episode five because the pilot's split in two, but for our purposes, it's episode four. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty, um, it's, it's a rich text, uh, but there's a lot of backstory stuff with Monk, and uh, I just want to know, Andre, what did you think about this episode generally? Um, it's definitely my least favorite out of all of them I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um but like you said, the for whatever reason I have the most amount of notes to date yet, mm-hmm. or maybe I was just paying more attention to it. But mm-hmm. um, but it was a good. I mean, it was a solid episode, just not not quite up to snuff as the other yeah. ones. I agree. This is also my least favorite episode of the ones we of the ones we've done. Um, there's some. It, it's a lot about Monk possibly getting reinstated which uh, has been, like, a thing that's been hinted at in the first three episodes, but this one is a lot, like, has a, a ton about it, and it's really interwoven into the plot. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's a very interesting thing about it. Um, but, yes, I agree. I think that a lot of the mechanics of it aren't as interesting as uh, the other ones, and I think don't work as well. But it is definitely an entertaining episode of television. Uh, when I watched it last night, I, I definitely enjoyed myself. Yeah, no, I, I, trust me, none of this is a a bad thing to say about the show. You know, it's just, it's like uh, the last season of Twin Peaks. Every episode was great. Were there a few that aren't as great? Sure, but still better than most. All right, so as always, let's start with just going through the plot, because that's how we're going to get to all the different thoughts that popped into our head. Um, We start off with the cold open where there's Lieutenant Kirk is driving up to, in the passenger seat, driving up a carnival with... Our friend Captain Leland Stoudemire, and you know he's uh, Stoudemire's a little worried about Kirk. You know, you get the, you immediately get the impression this guy, little unstable, a, a and, drunk. Yes, and he's dropping him off at the carnival because Kirk is meeting with uh, the victim, whose name I think is like John or something. Uh, and um, they're meeting because he has some info on something or other, and. Where does the victim, the eventual victim, want to uh, talk to Kirk about the information he has? He doesn't want to talk about him on either a carnival. He doesn't want to do it on the you know merry-go-round. He doesn't want to do a little plane whack-a-mole. He doesn't want to do it in. A, where, where does he want to talk to him? He wants to do it on on the Ferris wheel. Yes. Yeah. And, which, per, if I'm being honest with you, I actually think that that's a pretty good place to share. Confidential yeah. information. Yeah, sure. Like, if you're, if not, you're like, assured that, yeah. Um, right. but yeah, no, I it's just because it is it, it is just two people. 
So, um, so they go on the Ferris wheel, and you see a wide shot where you don't see anything that's actually going on. You just see it from the perspective of the ground, and you hear the victim shouting, like, Get off me, man! Stop hitting me, man! What are you doing, This man? guy's trying to kill me! This guy's trying to kill me! Kill me! Yeah. And so when they get to the ground, when they stop the ride, get to the ground, uh, Kirk angrily walks off, walks away like, what the hell? I didn't do anything. And then, um, you know, we cut back to the victim and he is slumped over with a knife in his chest. Dead. Yeah. I, we forgot to mention. I don't know. Oh, probably did. Um the guy who he's meeting with it's he's a a, a, a weed dealer right he sells sure weed? yes yes which which is funny now obviously because weed dealers are like bottom of the rung but mm-hmm. the hilarious thing to me was it was just like yeah he's a weird weed dealer and he has a shipment of purple haze coming in which is just mm-hmm. the most generic possible name you can have for a weed yes um it, it, i th- i think that it, it i appreciate the fact that they gave it a name because like the purple haze is like the only name you probably could give for weed that's also like intelligible, like intelligible to the you know fifty something audience that Monk was probably yeah. geared toward. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and truth be told, there's not that like I, I would probably assume that any weird phrase is a type of weed strain, but I'm trying to name an example of a weed strain that people wouldn't get. But it's like, wait, I don't even know weed strain, so you know, I appreciated the simplicity. Um, yeah. Also, we don't know what things were like in 2002. Maybe Purple Haze was the was the good stuff on the street. <laughs> yeah, probably. <clears throat> and so you know, uh, we go to the theme song, and uh, then we come back. And um, for once, we don't immediately cut back to um, to Monk. Um, we cut to Stylemeyer and Disher at the scene, and basically. You know, someone was talking to Kirk, like, what the hell happened, yada, yada, yada. And Kirk is, he is adamant that he did not kill this guy. Yes. I mean, and we're, I mean, to all of us, I'm sure you and I both watching were like, yeah, clearly this guy did not do it. Like, Yes, well, uh, yes because for a couple reasons. One, because it is kind of like... The screams and on the first we are kind of like stupid, like he's gonna kill me. Like it doesn't actually sound like he's getting beaten up. And two, yeah. because more, much more importantly, this wouldn't be an episode of television if it was just a guy got on a first wheel, stabbed the guy, and walked away. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that for the first, the dead giveaway for me is that like there's no blood on Kirk uh, afterwards, right. which right. like I get the guy's wearing. A big hoodie, but um, there'd be there'd be some blood. Yeah, there'd be some blood, and uh, not only that, but like as you find, well, as you don't find out later, for whatever reason, I don't see them talking about doing finger fingerprints on the knife yes. or anything like that. Yes, that is another good point. Um, it is uh, bizarre that they don't do fingerprints on the knife, but also that would you know. He, like, little things like this, like, it doesn't, I think because this episode spends so much time on the Monk reinstatement plotline, it doesn't yep. give as much time for all these different yep. things. Um, That's what, those are my thoughts, too. Yeah. And so, in a shocking turn of events, given current events and everything that's happened in my lifetime, how does the scene with Stottlemyre 
at the crime scene and what does he tell Dishore to do? Oh my god. Uh, you're going to have to tell me this one because I didn't write oh, that Oh no, down. it's really simple. He tells Disher to arrest Lieutenant Kirk. Oh, right. Uh, imagine, imagine a world where if cops <laughs> almost certainly killed someone that they arrested each other. I, I just... <laughs> Not only that, but the same night, even. Yeah. I mean, it was a single march and they fucking arrested this guy. Man, fiction is crazy. Anyway. Um, yeah. So we cut away to Monk is in front of the review board for reinstatement and... Hold on, we skipped over. They oh. mentioned an important... Oh, no, they mentioned an important... Because they kind of do a borderline, like, uh, you know, autopsy, or just like an assessment of the crime scene. And they declare that there was bruising found on the chest. Right. Indicating that there was, like, you know, a clear struggle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he officially died. He was stabbed in the aorta, which... Mm-hmm. Which, what you find out later, whoever stabbed him had to have, or, or it was either just a coincidence, or they knew their anatomy really well. Because I can't I mean, imagine if you're gonna it would stab be super someone, easy. That's the place to do it, right? Yes. Yeah, um, that was my thought. But go on, back to the yes, no, yeah. So he's in front of the review board, which I don't know if this is actually accurate, but I feel like the the room that it was in was comically big. Like mm-hmm. he didn't need to be sitting that far away. <laughs> yeah, um, no, of course. Uh, but he's in front of the review board and he's really trying hard and, um, there's obviously a bunch of stuff that's, you know, messing him up. Like there's a blind in the windows that's, uh, like not right and someone spills water, but he holds it together. Um, someone, someone throws a, someone, uh, crumples up a piece of paper, yes. throws it at the trash, leaves it outside. So he's like struggling to like keep himself in his chair. Exactly. And... He he, and and the the thing that really is bad for him, and he doesn't realize it because I think he's so uh, excited to be reinstated. But he, they bring up what happens to the pilot, where he they say you let a you know a suspect go because of your fear of heights, and you know he's like, cops are afraid. It's you know it's understandable for cops to have fears, and they're like, yeah, but you know. <laughs> Fear of germs and all that stuff. Like, they have a point. Um, yes. Also, like, I'm not monk, but, like, all that stuff that happened during that interview, that would piss me off, too. Like, come yes. on. Like, uh, it, you know? it would, it, but I also think that, like, you know, it wouldn't piss you off to the point where it would actually jeopardize your ability to... True. You know, to be... To you speak. Know, yeah, to speak. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah. Then he goes meet. He meets Sharon outside, and my immediate note with that is that the fact that he has a nurse that works for him should be disqualifying. That just <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like I couldn't help but think this entire episode. Like I love you, Monk, but you are not. You should not be reinstated. <laughs> you're just you know. I'm I'm so with you. Like I, it's that duality where you're like, yeah, I love Monk. He's so great. I just wish they paid him better because clearly this, <clears throat> his role now, it's that's the role that he should have because mm-hmm. he just does not have what it takes to be a police officer, like to have other people depend on him, like mm-hmm. in the line of fire. So I agree. Yes. So, uh, but he meets right outside and he is, he wants to drive the car, um, which I think is a funny sequence uh, because he's afraid that they'll be watching 
uh, out the window, and if they see someone else drive the car, they'll think he's not competent. Um, which is, of course, funny because he isn't. <laughs> no, right. And she, she like, wants him, or he wants to yawn. No, she wants him to yawn, so it looks like he's tired, and he, that's the part that made me laugh the most. He's like, why would I be tired? It's 10 a.m. They're going to think, like, I'm a piece of shit cop, basically. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. And so he ends up, they, the, uh, two of the people on the board come out, and they say hi to him, and, you know, uh walk away and he's like okay i gotta drive now because they're out here and he immediately backs up in the car behind him mm-hmm. and really is just not doing well and then they cut to him uh hitting a telephone pole not a telephone pole a street lamp with the uh headlight of her car and uh you know just just classic how, how far do you, how far do you think that was honestly probably from, from like where he started a, a block and a half probably yeah, that's about as charitable as I would be on that as well. Only because it looks like there's a lot less traffic where they end up being. So it's like he, they got added like that air, that block, but, you know, really just uh, a poor showing by Monk. And, um, yeah. So after that, we go to uh, a courtroom scene where um, Lieutenant Kirk is getting his bail set and he... The whole thing they're saying about you learn that he um, this is not his first incident with police brutality. That he apparently beat up uh, a criminal named Stokes when he was arresting him, um, and he's currently uh, you know was under review for that. And you're the, you, you're basically told like he can't you know he has an anger problem, so we shouldn't let him go. And to that, uh, Kirk blows up in the courtroom, which is like I think you might have an anger problem, buddy. Um, like it just it's like i i that just stuck out to me it's like this is a little on the nose with this guy having trouble controlling his emotions uh, yeah i've I, it's almost like i haven't known police officers to do that it's weird exactly yes um uh and so his guy he gets his bail set at uh fifty thousand dollars which i don't know how you're supposed to feel about that because for a murder that's a very low bail i don't uh no it, it is for sure no it, i hadn't even even thought about the fact that it was that obscenely low um but i'm glad that you're here to pay attention to these things yeah it, it just i like because i guess the thing is i don't you know for the show there's many reasons why someone could be let go on a murder uh a bail for um you know fifty thousand dollars and i think that i'm not you know advocating for obscene and high bails but it seems like the tone of the scene like that's like a loss for him it's like he fucking murdered someone. Like, $50,000 is... I mean, you better... You're celebrating. Anyway. Um, so I could uh, post that bail. Exa- I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, so, Monk, uh, you know, um, he uh, meets with uh, Stoudemire and uh, Disher, who are asking him to, you know, help Kirk out uh, on this case because... Um, you know, it's Tom my old friend, and on that note, mm-hmm. okay, th- this might be just a season one thing. I'm not sure, but there's a discrepancy where, like, basically, every one of these cases has something to do with one of Stottlemyre's colleagues, right? Is that a thing that that keeps going, or is that just no? It doesn't. That's kind of just a coincidence. I think it's kind okay. of just trying to be. Um... 
trying to make it things more like less random um but yes because uh, i think they also at the beginning they start to just bring in monk because monk's smart but they at the beginning they need to explain why monk is being brought in um on mm-hmm. the side and mm-hmm. uh it's a good explanation to be like it's a favor rather than um you know because they don't immediately go into the he's just the smartest guy in the world um which uh, is what it ends up being it ends up being that if there's a case that's tough monk gets a call um which is what it should have been the whole time, but I don't. I, I understand why they did it this way because they wanted to start. Because they wanted to start the show really early on in Monk doing consulting work, and so if you, even if you were the smartest consultant in the world, you probably didn't start just getting called in on every case that was hard. Um, uh-huh. so. Well, that's funny you say that because <clears throat> what you find out later, which is something that I would have never thought, uh, is that apparently by this point in time he has consulted on cases for two and a half years yes uh i assume we don't obviously see all those i think they said like eight cases or something like that but um, yeah yeah it's unclear what the time span is for a lot of this um yeah i'm super curious to see like how much time has elapsed between the first episode and where we're at now it almost yeah i imagine that there's probably the most time in these first few episodes between them because he's not getting regular calls to consult um uh but yeah uh, I think that I wrote in the scene is like, because Stamar basically like says like you know, I'm testifying in front of the review board uh, tomorrow and uh, I could really use a favor, which is like super manipulative in a way that is oh, obvious yeah. and uh, I, I don't know it's it just it rubs you the wrong way and you know I generally am pro Leland Stoudemire but you know just there was a bad look for my guy. Um, I love any man named Lynn. Lynn Leland Stoudemire. Oh, Leland. Okay, that's what I thought, but you said Lynn, so I was just going to go with nope, what you said. I said Leland. Uh, okay. Anyway, so then the next scene, he goes, uh, Monk goes to talk to uh, Lieutenant Kirk, and we learn something that's actually, I think, very, very interesting for the Monk character, that in the Stokes case, the other police brutality case involving Kirk, Monk gave testimony against Kirk, and I think that that is a super interesting character detail. And uh, also super unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no way once you snitch on a cop that they'll ever let you within six inches of them in the future. Like, they're yes. just going to be ducking you. Yes. And so that obviously complicates things. And I think, it, I think that that's a very interesting wrinkle that Monk is being asked to uh, clear a cop of murder that he had previously you know, testified against for police brutality. That I obviously is like, you know, story-wise is very interesting. Um, and I'm glad mm-hmm. they made that choice. And I think it also does make you like Monk more because it's like, yeah, uh, good on you, Monk. Um, and of course, you know, the good apple is no longer on the force, but whatever. Um, that, uh, but he is, you know, talking to him in his, uh, his house and he's cleaning up everything because he's <laughs> Monk, uh, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that this is a very interesting scene just because... You kind of get, um, Monk just doesn't, Monk needs to kind of be, I'm trying to think, because the other episodes have started off with Monk thinking one thing and having to convince everyone else of the other, of what he believed, but this mm-hmm. one, Monk, for the oh, for a lot of the episode, doesn't believe that Kurt, uh, thinks that Kurt did it, because he's like, I see this, saw this guy beat the shit out of a suspect, you know what I mean? And... I think that it's it's interesting to see someone have to try to convince him to keep investigating, you know? 
Yeah, no, for sure. But <clears throat> kind of at the same time, um, he do- he seems to like he yeah maybe he does think he did it, but he doesn't seem super confident about it. Like I, I think that that's this- true. Yeah, like when with Dale and like with uh, um, the the episode before that, uh, like, who was uh, it? Who was police commissioner? Yeah, like he was like kind of like even like aggressive towards that person. Yes, like he he was definitely a lot a lot more animated in his you know his convictions. But this one, he's very much you can tell just by the way he talks and the way he like is physically. I don't know why, but Tony Shalhoub just manages to like show you how he mm-hmm. feels like mm-hmm. without ever like explicitly stating it mm-hmm. stating it so I, I kind of like at the same time was going through this whole episode like nah he doesn't really think he did it but that's just yeah I don't, I, don't know. I, I don't know i think that part of him is not stated i think part of it is that like the fact that starmeyer doesn't think he did it i think that uh you know monk trusts starmeyer in a way but i i think it's i think his feelings are complicated about it which is you know in itself different um and then we go to the carnival Finally, Mr. Monk finally goes to the carnival, and there's some good hijinks, because Monk obviously doesn't enjoy anything about a carnival. Um, he, but he did like the costumed guy. That was the funniest part. Yes. That, that's great. Uh, big fan yeah. of that. Um, yeah. But, uh, so they, um, they meet Stoudemire there. Uh, Benji's also there. Still the same Benji, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. that Benji watch. Yes, Benji Watch. I think they actually only have one Benji for the rest of the show. I, I'm not, I don't remember fully, though, because it's not like I'm paying attention to remembering what children look like. Um, That's good. Yes, I know. Whew. That uh, they end up... Um, they end up going to, like, the photographer lady who takes photos of people at the, uh, at the carnival. They see that the victim had his hoodie zipped up all the way to the top, even though it's 95 degrees out, which... Correct me if I'm wrong, but San Francisco never really gets that hot, does it? I I can attest. I was there about three years ago on Labor Day, and it was actually 105 degrees. Wow. Why did I think this? It also, wow. No, I no. San Francisco okay. always was like 80 degrees to 60 degrees, and that was it. No, it can get hot, but like, granted, I was there for when it was like record-breaking heat. Also, Monk points it out like that's a problem. Like, yeah, it was 95 degrees, but this guy is always wearing a sports coat or like, you know, that he's always true. wearing his. Yeah, but the, so I was... thing is, that is true. However, I think even Monk knows that, like, I'm weird for this. Like, not everyone's doing this. Um, right. And so, uh, also, it's, I think part of it's like, yes, it's 95 degrees, but like, you and I have both seen our fair share of dirt bags who would wear a dirty hoodies at the all the way to the top in any temperature. <laughs> like, it's I, kind I, of a. I lived in Tucson for three and a half years, four years, and yes, there's a ton of insane clown posse fans that dress the same way year round. Wait, was that a whoop whoop I heard in the distance? Anyway, um, <laughs> and I, I want to a great monk as Rain Man bit is where Monk tells Benji because Benji wants to guess the amount of jelly beans. Oh he tells yeah, tells him there are eight thousand three hundred eighty-five jelly beans in the uh, jar. Which for a carnival game, like yeah, you have to guess game. how yeah. many are in it. Yeah. Yes, I just love that because I love the moments where like Monk just straight up is Rain Man. I think are like, <laughs> you know, I've never seen Rain Man. 
Neither have I, but I understand it as a cultural touchstone. So it's one of those yeah. 80s movies that, like, I know it was celebrated at the time, but, like, everything I've heard about since is, like, was Rayman actually, like, a good movie or was it just, like, cheesy? So those movies are kind of the ones I've avoided when I go back and watch classic movies. Anyway, let, leave it in the comments down below if you think I should watch Rain Man. Um, but there's some great bits where uh, Stottlemyre... Not great bits, but some fun bits where Stottlemyre has to convince the internal affairs that he's not working with Bunk because internal affairs doesn't want to bring in outside help. Um, and they also and, show up at the carnival. Yes, which makes sense, though, because there was a co- cop did murder someone at a carnival. So internal affairs would probably be there at some point. But Yeah. So Monk is by himself at the carnival, and there's you know, a good sequence of him doing a bunch of different carnival things and not enjoying himself. You know, Monk stuff. Uh, but then there's a scene that ends up being pivotal where they talk to the operator of the ferris wheel who i believe is named kitty because of course she is Uh uh-huh and they get her to tell her story again of what happened and a thing that i think in hindsight is actually good about the scene and i don't don't know if it's intentional but it's originally presented because she's told it to so many people but i think it actually works really well that if you that listening to the story last night knowing that she was the one who actually stabbed him and that this is all lies that it sounds like a story that was rehearsed. Like, there's all the same jokes, but, like, without any of the thought. Like, there's no... It doesn't sound like she's thinking about it as she's saying it. It sounds like she's literally just rehearsed the story. And like I said, I don't know if and that's she says that. She says well, that. No. Well, no, she said no, she says that she's told the story to a bunch of different people, which yeah. is, she, is what, like, the show wants you to believe of why she sounds like that. But at the same time, she also sounds like that because it's not true. Because, like... Right. Because there's none of the... There's... Like, I don't care how many times you told the story to someone. Like, I'm not, I mean, not, not how many times, but you imagine she's probably told the story, like, five times. You would, it wouldn't be, like, I guess when I, was, I didn't write any of the specific examples down, but, like, some of her asides are all in the exact, the same monotone. Like, it's not like she's just recounting all this. It's not like she's down. reading a grocery list or something. It's exactly. Like, you're, it, like she's yeah. telling a story, but she's telling it in ex- such a rehearsed way, which I think is, you know... Uh, I think I imagine someone probably had the idea on set that to do that. I don't know, but even if it's not intentional, I think it works well. Watching it a second time because it's like, oh, of course this is bullshit. It sounds bullshit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. so then they like this. They decide they need to get on. <clears throat> they need to get on the Ferris wheel. Uh, they need to look at the Ferris wheel. Um, okay. And because they need to look at the seat it was on, and Monk. Uh, is really worried that the Ferris wheel is going to turn on when he's standing on the platform, which I think is funny. Um, but he also yeah. finds half of a tarot card, which is another thing that's in two or four episodes along so far. Which, uh, which, what the hell, man? How the hell did no one find that before? Come on. That, I don't know. I, I, I really don't understand that. Um, but, you know, that's I suspend my disbelief a little bit for that, but yeah. Especially because, mm-hmm. like, Clearly, they'd have to, like, I don't know. There's just really bad crime scene investigation work. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. if Kirk didn't end up getting arrested at the end of that scene, you could be like, oh, the cops didn't investigate because they didn't want to arrest anyone. They wanted to cover it up. But clearly, that's not the case because they arrested him. So, um, I don't know. Well, all I got to say is no wonder the Zodiac Killer got away with it, with these people investigating crime scenes. I mean, exactly. Uh, it's, I mean... I'll be honest with you, now I just want to talk about Zodiac, but we can do that another time. Um, Please. Oh, fuck, man, I love that movie. Uh, So they end up going to the victim's apartment, and the landlord character is truly, might be one of the most stock characters I've ever seen in anything. It is Uh 
unbelievable how stereotypical the landlord is where he says like it's like so what do you get up to i don't know man the people's uh the people's go the way that i can't see in that's why i always say <laughs> yeah no it's but that's what it's gonna be you know oh i love I, it I, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I love it, it. if you're gonna do a stock character play it to 11 because it's because if you play it just like fully straight it's like okay fine but if like you go over the top it's like okay you kind of know what you're doing but the main piece of evidence they find is that they find a hook attached to a fan to which the landlord says you wouldn't believe the things i've seen attached to these fans which i i really want to know some of the things he's seen because they don't i really can't think of that many crazy things but um did you see that apartment i guarantee you there's a ton of things that's true i wonder do you think that he's the landlord for the person who made the uh, potato flew around and uh, (laughs) dude i actually that's so funny because i literally thought that when i was watching that so Besides, you know, in addition to the uh, hook on the um, fan, what else do they find that's strange in this apartment? Um, oh, just my favorite thing. I, I don't think it's strange. I have one myself. It's a, uh, it's a battery. Uh, sorry, a sock, like a tube sock that's stuffed full of batteries. Now, when we were watching it last night, because I actually watched this one with my family, my brother Michael laughed out loud, understandably, I think. When Monk just immediately goes, huh, that's used as a weapon in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, okay. I mean, I guess, it, I mean, it, it is a fair, now that is a strong tube stock, by the way. Like, that is, that's a lot of batteries in there. Um, yeah, because there wasn't like, there wasn't like six or eight batteries. There was like at least 40 batteries in this mm-hmm. fucking tube stock. Yeah, I mean, and, and so they put in, there's a hole in the tube socks, they put it on the hook, and so clearly you see that the you know batteries were swinging around in the tube sock on the hook and uh yeah so it's like okay that's strange um so anyway not as strange i mean about equally strange as putting potato on your hook but anyway um (laughs) we then go to um a dance club that uh apparently the victim frequents oh yeah we find out about this dance club because the landlord says the, vic- the victims. The, vic- the victim's name, by the way, is Gittimer. Gittimer, good call. Gittimer? Yeah, Gittimer. Okay. They keep calling so, him Gittimer. Yeah, right, right. I knew it was something with a G, but I didn't want to take a stab. So uh, the landlord says something that sounds like it is from a movie in the fifties, where he could never pay his phone bill, but he's always going out dancing. Like, yeah, people go to dance clubs, plenty, but i don't know anyone who i who would ever describe as going out dancing like he goes to clubs and also that's not a club like that is not a super like it's a club club that is not a going anyway so they go to this dance club and they end up giving uh you know they show the tarot card and they learn that it's basically like a thing for uh it's um the like a, coach, a coat check or bag check type thing ah, they, yeah, get, yeah. they get the other half of it and it's his bag so they uh you know put that together and so they have his bag, and then but then we cut to Captain Stahlmeyer in front of the board in a scene that is like just kind of heartbreaking to watch. Uh, oh yeah, where they're basically like asking him, um, you know, if stuff about Monk. He's been helpful, yada yada. And then they ask, "Do you think that he's ready to be reinstated?" And he keeps deflecting the question. Um, yeah, he keeps tap dancing around it. And then we cut before he says anything, you know. Uh, yes or no we cut to monk in the uh well i think it's probably like the federal building 
of San Francisco is what they're trying to be. Um, that he, uh, not federal building, but you know, like the whatever, you know, the the, the building where all the cop stuff is. Um, I, I know where it is in New York. I don't know. I I lived like across from it, like for like a year in college. I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the Justice Center. I don't know. But uh, he's wearing his police uniform, which is just uh, which is a bit much. Um, mm-hmm. Now Monk is a very presumptuous person. Like he, this is a, that's a trait that carries on that he doesn't like understand the nuances of things like that. That he's just like that he can be overconfident in that way. And um, the moment they see Stalmar's face, they know that he didn't um, give him the recommendation. Give him the recommendation. Which once again, great call. Thank you so much, Doctor. Yeah, you yeah, really no, saved you know, San Francisco. Absolutely. I, I, it's it's honestly the hardest part about watching this show mm-hmm. is wanting to him wanting him to be okay because yes. it, it almost makes me wonder like why does he want why does he want to be a cop so bad again like I think because he wants to be he wants to be normal like not normal but like he wants people to not. To respect him again and to not see him as a broken person anymore, and I think that he faces that symbolizes that that being a cop again would did like you know undo all of the trauma, not undo the trauma because he obviously doesn't want to forget his wife or anything like that, but that he wants to be back to who he was and he doesn't want to be seen as a curiosity, um, and I think that the way his way of interpreting that is to be a cop again because that's what he was before and so i think in that way i understand his attachment to it because he wants he doesn't want to have to he does he doesn't want to be a broken person and i think that he thinks that unless he's able to get back to where he was before his wife's murder he is still broken and so i think that that's what makes it tragic and in this scene sharona does have a great line which was uh at least uh lieutenant kirk has the uh, the decency to stab people in the front you know great stuff yeah yeah no, for sure, and like, and uh, Stottlemyre makes it. Uh, what stood out to me is when he's explaining why he couldn't give him the recommendation. Mm-hmm. He he basically says what we said earlier is that he 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 can't trust him to have a gun. He can't trust him to, you know, to be in charge of another person's life when when the situation would come mm-hmm. to it. And I was just thinking, like, finally, like we get a cop show that doesn't minimalize like the effects of owning a gun you know like yes. they, it, it was a surprising amount of thought that is put into it yes I and think. i also think a thing too that he says which i think is really poignant is like he says to monk like you know you're not ready because like monk monk wants to be ready but monk, monk monk can't think he's ready. like in his clear moment like monk knows he's not he can't yeah and um so i, I think that's really nice and then we cut to a scene with uh stoudemire where disher comes in his office and he, you know, tells him that he didn't give him the recommendation, but, um, and then he sits down and uh, Stottmeyer's telling a story about, uh, Monk, his first day as a detective. And this is where it's officially confirmed what I said in the first episode, where Monk wasn't always this bad, that he was OCD and, you know, had his, his quirks and compulsions and was definitely a very strange guy, but he wasn't, you know, at 11 at all times. Um, uh-huh. And what is the murder like? Can you like? Do you remember what the specific like details of the murder that in this first day that he was the only one who solved? Uh, I did not write it down. No. Okay. So there's a uh, a woman. I think she might have been uh, a prostitute. I'm trying. I don't remember though. It was something like that where she was in 
a hotel and she had overdosed on horse tranquilizers, but like by the point where she was clearly trying mm. to kill herself, right? Mm-hmm. And on horse pills. And uh, everyone said suicide, suicide, suicide. Monk came in immediately said murder. Why? Because there's no there's no water. There's no glasses of water anywhere. Um, and, you know, I think that that is the type of stuff where it's like, it's, such, it's a very quick example, but it's like, you get why, you know, you get, I think you get why Stalmar has such conflicted feelings about Monk, because I think that he knows Monk isn't ready, but I think he's also like, Monk is the most special person he's ever seen. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know, I think that that's a really nice, it's a nice scene to have after the scene where he didn't recommend him, because it's like, there's still so much admiration there. It's just like there's a difference between admiring his skills to investigate and letting him be a cop again. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. So then we cut back to the courtroom, but this time it is uh, Stokes, the other the guy who uh, Kirk beat up, actually beat up, is mm-hmm. uh, he's, you know, there's a pretrial thing and he ends up getting his indictment thrown out because uh, Kirk will no longer be testifying since, you know, he's on trial for murdering a suspect. Which, fair play. Like, that's, you know, that's that's probably how it should work. The justice system should probably work that way, that if there's a question, if the arresting officer in a case who is accused in that case of beating up the suspect is then later found to have murdered another suspect, you probably shouldn't have that guy testify in the first one. So, Absolutely. So Stokes gets out, and they, and, uh, Monk and Sharona, uh, you know, catch him as he's leaving uh, the courtroom, and um, he is very uh, rude, generally speaking, but you end mm-hmm. up finding out that uh, he um, called the victim, whose name I already forgot, Gatimi, Gabidi. Hello? Yeah, sorry, you cut out. Oh. The, I, he ends up, you end up learning that he called the victim uh, Gatini, Gamini, what's his name again? Uh, Gittimer. Gittimer. He called him twice from prison, um, which should be an immediate red flag. Like, I know there's really not, that's fully circumstantial evidence, but it's like, it's kind of weird that a guy who uh, accused a police officer of police brutality called another guy outside of prison twice, and then that guy ends up getting, quote-unquote, abused by... By the same cop. By the same cop. But... Yeah. I, it, that is that is what is literally circumstantial evidence because that it means nothing. You can't do anything with that. Um, yes. So yeah, he ends up getting let go, and uh, you know you learn that he's been clean and sober for a certain amount of years. Good for him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need. Uh, there's a lot of shows that show alcoholics as bad people. It's nice to see that there can be psychopathic murderers who are clean and sober. You know, um, three three years. That's good really, on Mr. Stokes. Yeah, honestly, like him being a murderer aside. Put, this, put that aside. Go for him for, you know, staying sober. Because, um, you know, you, I mean, when you get home after a long night of murdering, the one thing you just want is to do is open a cold one, you know? Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we go back to um, to Sharona's apartment where there's something that immediately stuck out to me, which is Benji mentions offhandedly that Monk did something in their basement, and it's like Sharona is a personal nurse for a former detective, she lives in San Francisco. She doesn't have a basement. No okay, are we doing? Are we doing another Zodiac quip? No, she doesn't have a basement. What I'm saying is that she does not have the money to afford two stories. It's San Francisco. I don't. Okay, like no, I thought not fully tech boom, but like I don't know. She's a 
And she also talks about Monk as being the cheapest man alive. Yeah, how the hell are they both, like, surviving? I, I need yeah, to know I don't how know. much I mean, the thing is, with what we've been learning about cop pensions and stuff like that, Monk, I don't know, he's fine. But, hmm, I don't know. She's, uh, she somehow has a basement. But as Monk has been vacuuming everything and every surface over and over and over again, he randomly just starts breaking out and shouting, Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. And why is he so uh-huh. mad, Andre? Because he solved the case. I, what I a love surprise. That. I love that. Yeah. That, that. You think he's angry because of the... But no, he's angry because he solved the case. Um, yeah, and he's he's angry because he solved the case and he doesn't want to have to talk to Stottlemyre or any mm-hmm. of them because he's obviously still a little upset because he didn't give him the recommendation, mm-hmm. which is, like, strange. I guess this is, like, the only uh, cognitive dissonance about this because, like, he's pretty level-headed about everything, but he's, mm-hmm. like, being such yeah. a little kid about this. That's the thing so about Monk. it's an interesting... Is yeah. that Monk is, when he's objective, he's as objective as possible, but he does have tendencies when he's, he does act, can act like a little kid when he's mad about stuff like that. And I think that that is something that is, it's a consistent character trait, so that's why it didn't jump out to me. That Monk is okay. incredibly, like, petty and childish sometimes when he's yeah. about certain things, and it's like, what the hell? Um, but anyway, I think that that also yeah. is just, that is very uh, realistic when it comes to obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, mm-hmm. But... They, they end up cutting to uh, um, Sharona and Monk are driving to the carnival and Stottmeyer's in his office and they call him and uh, um, Sharona basically says that Monk solved the case and Stottmeyer wants to talk to Monk and he doesn't want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. So she puts him like... And it's funny because I don't think speakerphone existed either because she just holds the phone over next to him and he mm-hmm. starts explaining how exactly it happened. Which, that actually brings up a good question. Andre, how did it happen? Uh, okay, so I guess what happened was Stokes was behind it. He basically, uh, he, it was like a double cross kind of thing. He hired Gittimer to like, the whole the whole point of this thing was to discredit Kirk. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Gittimer didn't know that he was gonna die, mm-hmm. so they had. Was it just gonna be that they were, that they roughed him up? Did he beat him up because he had the bruises? Correct. Yeah. So that's why he had the chest bruising because he had that sock full of batteries swinging at him at his apartment. So that's how that showed up. And so when he went to the carnival, get him around talking about, that's why he had the sweater all zipped up. Although I don't know how you could have seen that before. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't uh, know why yeah. he had to do that. I don't know why. Yeah, just, um, like, just wear a dirt t-shirt. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So he did that. And apparently what we found out is that uh, the girl, Kitty, the the Ferris wheel operator, she was in on it. She was Stokes' girlfriend, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. And so she was the one that laid the finishing touches. Uh, the She unleashed the part of the plan that Gittimer wasn't privy to, which was that she was going to kill, or he was going to die. So after that whole charade happened on the Ferris wheel, when they land and, and, you know, Kirk is trying to get off, she's the one that comes over and applies the knife to the chest. And, and boom, bingo. Uh, did I miss anything? No, you got it. Um, I think the biggest problem with this whole explanation is that the her being his girlfriend is really just like a quick is too I think easy it's too neat it's there's no real build up it's just that Monk notices that they both have that sober pin which is something that like you don't um 
you don't you wouldn't have noticed on her anyway um which is fine like obviously you know there's some things that can't all be uh spelled out but uh i think yeah i think that it's um it's also like there are some questions about like wouldn't she have blood on her if she stabbed him and how mm-hmm. did not a single person notice that she had a knife? Like, there's a, there's a couple things. Like, I think that is that it, it's it's plausible. It's not crazy uh, that it worked, but um, yeah. So I think that that yeah. You, I think honestly, this is the most complete job you've done explaining one so far. So thank you so much, Andre. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, um, you know what? I I I, I took extensive copious notes on that one. But I'm see, glad. like I still miss on some other stuff. But yes. Um, but then we see uh, Stokes is talking to Kitty at the carnival and uh we cut back to monkeys talking about it and then when we cut back there's a crowd around a dead body oh my god stokes killed kitty um and now they like stokes is somewhere in the park they need to find him so sharona goes up on the ferris wheel to try to look for him but this is bad news guys stokes was hiding on the ferris wheel um Mm -hmm. that's where he was and so he is now climbing across the Ferris wheel to try to... The thing, the thing I was wondering, like, what is his plan here? Is he just going to murder Sharona? For what reason? People going to... Everyone's going to see him do that. <laughs> he, you know, like, this show is stacking up the body count heavy. Like, yeah. way more people die than need to die. It's, it's, it's pretty insane, it's like, actually. Also, because Sharona is not... The, like, if you were to just get down from the Ferris wheel and hop a fence and run away, he'd get away with it. Why is he still here? Trying to murder Sharona. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Monk is trying to operate the Ferris wheel to try to bring it down, and he can't. And he ends up uh, ripping the, uh, like, the, whatever, the control stick off of its hinges. And so he mm-hmm. grabs on to the Ferris wheel to try to climb up it. And uh-huh. uh, he, there's a great bit where, he say, where he's saying to himself, what am I doing? What am I doing? And Sharona says, <laughs> you're saving me! Which yeah. I think is funny. But it ends up yeah. being super anticlimactic because the police just show up and then they hold him at gunpoint and it's like, stop. Which, like, so Monk didn't actually have to do that. Like, I, just, I wish Monk actually, you know, did something in that moment. Because Monk does do a lot of courageous things. Like, that's a lot of the show is that he does courageous things. He musters the courage to do stuff for his assistants. But that's, it's just, it's so, it's too simple in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, No, absolutely. It, it was definitely kind of like a little downer ending for me. Yeah. And then we get to see uh, a reinstatement of Stokes, but we all see it. We see it through Monk's eyes, which I think is, you know, sad. Where it's like, I've, where Stalmer's like, I've been wanting to say this to you. Here's your badge. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, wait, reinstatement of Kirk, not, not Stokes, bro. Oh, so sorry. Yes, right. Kirk. Sorry. Sorry, my bad. The reinstatement of Kirk. Wow. Yeah, Co- Kirk, Stokes got reinstated. You was great. It was great what you did, killing Sharona. Uh, no. Um, that... Uh, and he's giving him his badger's gun back, and you see Monk, you know, obviously wanting that to happen to him, but it doesn't. Um, yeah, you know, that's just a kind of sad, somber scene. But then we get uh, the finale where Sharona stole Monk's shoe and is asking him how he did the thing with the jelly beans. How, how did Monk do the thing with the jelly beans? Uh, so I guess on his way through the carnival at some point, he noticed uh, a bunch of boxes of jelly beans mm-hmm. that had a count of i want to say 800 each or 400 or something something like that yeah so he counted the number of boxes and he was able to gather that it's x amount but yeah, that he, the well, guy cause who because he ended up being like five off and because the reason yeah. he, the reason it wasn't a round number is because he figured that whoever was doing it ate a couple handfuls as they were doing it and so that's how he got 8385 clearly a boomer because only boomers eat 
Jelly beans. Do people still eat jelly beans? I mean, I've ha- I've eaten some jelly beans. I, I the tr- like really traditional ones aren't that good. I think that like, you know, funky new ones. Like I, I was always a big fan of like when uh, I remember Starburst did jelly beans, which obviously are barely jelly beans. They're like 100 percent sugar, but still, those were delicious. Um, but I mean, I I, I I mess with some jelly beans. I you know I'm not averse to uh, to a jelly bean or two. Why are you are you are you coming out as staunchly anti jelly bean on this podcast? <laughs> I'm anti jelly bean. Um, I think the last jelly bean experience I had was when those Harry Potter movies came out and they had those birdie bots every flavor every flavor bean. Mm-hmm. So I think I just remember the the vomit and the salt ones really, yeah, leaving me with a those, bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, th- those didn't need to be turned into an actual uh, food thing. Um, yeah, so yeah uh, I think at the top of this episode we said that this is probably our least favorite episode of these. So I'm wondering, what would you give this episode out of ten? Um, I would give it, I'm giving it a 6.5 out of 10. You and I both, we're both giving it a 6.5. So that is, although, you know, I think, you know, on any rewatch, there's going to be episodes that are 6.5s and that's uh, what makes TV TV. The highs and lows are honestly, you know, what make it interesting. Um, so yeah, this is us talking about Mr. Monk and the Carnival. Now, where can people follow you on Twitter, Andre? You could follow me at Andre Barrera. Um, I've spelled it out many times. And it's but also it on again. the logo of this podcast, so don't worry. It's uh, yes, Andre and you Barrera. Can follow me he at can. the J Christie. Follow this show at Strictly Munkin, no G, on uh, Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe to this. Give it, please give us ratings because uh, you know it's nice to see when you, you know, whenever you pull up your own podcast, it's nice to see when it's you know five stars. It makes you feel good and warm inside and stuff like that. Uh, and also, please uh, share with any of your friends. If you have a, you know, a mom or an aunt who watched Monk and isn't offended by uh, my inability to stop myself from swearing, you know, just send them a link and show them how to use podcasts. If it's going to take too long to show them how to use podcasts, I understand. This podcast is not worth, like, a half an hour of your time showing your mom how to use the podcast app. Um, you know, it's, it's just not. I've done that for my own podcast with my own mom, but, like, that makes sense. Anyway. Wait, not only that, but please... I'm I'm using my platform now. If you have any friends that haven't watched Punk, mm-hmm. like me, well, why don't you tell them to watch the show? I you know, I could like, not agree more. Monk is a great show, and it's also it's just like it's great. I think once again, I think we spent too much time with this prestige. Every episode is one long arc television. It's great just to fire up something and be like, this is the one where, the, where he goes to the carnival. This is the one, yada yada yada. And speaking of which, next week. Tune in to listen to us talk about Mr. Monk Goes to the Asylum. Oh, okay. Let's get monkey.